0: Well, we are continuing with this series of parables in Luke and looking at those parables through the lens of the question that is asked in the parable of the Good Samaritan, who is my neighbor or how is it that we become neighbor to one another? We're in Luke 18 and today looking at the second of two parables on prayer that are in that chapter. Uh, Last week we looked at the story of the the widow who is appealing to the judge and looked at the issue of persistence in prayer. And this week we're on the Pharisee and the tax collector and that whole theme of honesty before God in prayer. And part of the question of being a neighbor is the question, really, who am I? We have to do some introspection in order to understand who we are to the other. Uh, we have to know some things about ourselves and what kind of person am I? And and all of the parables really get us to work with that question of that kind of self-examination. They invite us to that. And as we look at and identify with the characters in the parable, we, we learn something also uh, about ourselves. And today's text presents us with, I think, this opportunity once again is we look at these two characters in this parable, the the Pharisee and the tax collector, to explore how each uh, sees himself and how that perspective influences his view of God. So let's uh, look at Luke 18 verses 9 through 14. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that They were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a 10th of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. Lord, help us to find ourselves in this parable. Help us to hear your voice in and through it, and to hear above all else your invitation to us through Jesus to confidently come into your presence just as we are. For we pray this in his name. Amen. So this is this is one of my favorite parables, actually. And I I think it's it's partly because it's it's just so wonderfully cinematic and and I, I can see it produced on on a screen and the story is just so much about religion and and about how we find our way to God. But the part of it that I've kind of linked in with this time and the part that I've been kind of chewing on for much of the week is is Jesus kind of concluding line about the humble being exalted and the exalted being humbled. Commentators call this line the great reversal that's so prominent in in Jesus' teaching, that there will be this turnaround, and, and those that we think are on the inside maybe aren't so far inside as they think they are, and those that think themselves to be on the outside maybe aren't so far outside as they think they are. And so they speak of that as a, as a reversal. But I, and the more that I work with this, I the more I think about the exalted being humbled and the humbled being exalted and the two meeting somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I like to refer to this not as the great re- reversal, but the great leveling. Because both ultimately are in the same place, and that is under the banner of of God's love. It's kind of like in Isaiah 40, when God shows up, the valleys are exalted and the mountains and the hillers are made low. A great road is created for God to make his way to his people and a great road that allows his people to come to him. And so there is, in this sense, a great leveling that takes place in that phrase that Jesus uses. It's not about the winners becoming losers and the losers becoming the winners. It's not about the insiders being cast out and the marginalized being brought in in order to fill their space. But under God's mercy, we all end up meeting in that level place of common understanding. For we all see ourselves as recipients of God's kindness, God's grace, and God's mercy. And in the text, we have that great story, again, that begins with that sort of setting of who the characters are, like like an old joke that you might tell about three guys walking into a bar. Well, here it's a Pharisee and a tax collector go up to the temple to pray. And the story proceeds from there. Two men go up to the temple to pray, and and like I was saying, the cinematic nature of this parable is, is always very apparent to me. I can picture the scene and and its movements and even its camera angles to some extent, and it starts with this big, big shot, big wide angle of the temple, this active, bustling place that all sorts of people are coming in and going out and doing all sorts of things, but suddenly the camera zooms in on one of them, which is a, a Pharisee. And after the camera zooms in on the Pharisee, we kind of get the Pharisees look to his side and the camera zooms in then on the tax collector and the Pharisee is the one who comes in and prays God essentially the prayer goes something like this God thank you that you made me better than most I'm really happy that you made me better than most I have all sorts of of advantages because I do the right things because you made me better than most. So my life is better than most because I have made good choices and I am being rewarded. Thank you. I'm nothing like that tax collector over there. Thank you. Tax collector, on the other hand, prays a very different prayer. It's about shorter prayer. And it's all he has to say. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He beats his breast as he says it. And essentially says, I've got nothing to bring to you, God. I've got nothing to bring to you but my own wretched self. I've got nothing to celebrate, only my own bad choices. So here I am. And what I'm asking for is your kindness, plain and simple mercy. Now one of the things we need to remember about tax collectors in this context is that they are not sort of nameless bureaucrats in a call center at the IRS. These are people that the community knew. They knew them very well, and they didn't like them very much. And they didn't like them very much because they were fellow Jews who were working for the Romans, first of all. But they also didn't like them very much because the way they made money was to add a commission on to the taxes that they collected and they got to decide what the commission was and if you had a reasonable tax collector they wouldn't charge you that much but an unreasonable one would and you'd have to pay a lot more than just the taxes so it was a form of extortion really they used their position to get more money they padded their income by collecting more than they were required to collect and it was a form of of exploitation. They could get away with it, but they were seen by their own people as absolute betrayers working for the Romans. So both men praying have different versions really of the same prayer I think as we look at this parable and The prayer is, you know who I am, God, and you know who I believe myself to be. The Pharisee's prayer is, aren't I wonderful? And the tax collector's prayer is, I'm too wretched to even be here in this place. They're both archetypes, really. One who is good through and through, and one who is bad through and through. The religiously righteous one, That no one can get near and the sinful opportunist that no one wants to be near and like all archetypes they beg the reader to ask a question which one am i like who do i identify with or maybe the more accurate question is really how am i a mixture of them both because they both play a role in my experience. Marianne and I had a a very important person in our life, Ken Schmidt, who was a psychotherapist. And when we were in Ventura where we met, he was my friend and actually, if I can say this, her therapist, (laughs) unbeknownst to us, uh, before we met. And he didn't get us together, but when we got together, he went, hmm, yeah, that sounds right. Ken is someone who in his later life became very interested in dreams and in the way that dreams could play a role in, in psychotherapy and not as predictors or some sort of weirdness like that or metaphysical sense, but more of that sense of archetypes that if you're dreaming this dream, you're creating all of these characters. And therefore, these characters are probably a part of yourself. In some way and his whole sense was in getting people to work with dreams play or be in conversation with each of the characters in your dreams and and find out what they can tell you about their self yourself because I mean what we do know about brain science is dreams are those marvelous ways that our brain begins to integrate and make room for things in our consciousness and to kind of bring it out and work on it and, and find a place for it well, I think we need to do the same with parables in some ways. We need to see them not as as I said before, these sort of moralistic tomes that give us nothing more than than one moral truth like Aesop's fables. But that actually invite us to work with all of the characters in the parable and to find ourselves. I think when when Adrian preached on the prodigal son, we just saw the way in which you know, we could be all sorts of people in that parable, and there's lots of characters in that parable. There, there's the father that, that waits. There's the older son who gets mad. There's the younger son who's kind of kind of a, a jerk. There's all of these townspeople as well, and you put that together, and it's, it's pretty interesting what you find out about yourself as you begin to identify with all of those characters. Well, I think the same is true here for the Pharisee and the tax collector that what's happening is not simply that the Pharisee is all bad and the the tax collector is, is all good in this parable, or that the tax collector wins and the Pharisee loses. But what this is is an invitation to all of us to be right with God, to rest in the place that we were created to be and to occupy, To be at at peace with God by understanding ourselves as living life out under the banner of, of God's love. Occupying that place where we rest in the truth that we were created by God and for relationship with God. It's not really the great reversal, but the great leveling. The Pharisee comes down from his high horse and the tax collector comes up from his self-denigration. The humble are more important in God's eyes than they think they are, and the exalted are actually not as wonderful as they think they are. What makes each beloved is not what they have done, but that they are created by and loved by God. And I think Isaiah says it well in the 30th chapter, and I'll close with this when he says, In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Therefore, the Lord waits for you. Therefore, he will rise up and show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all those who wait for him. Let's pray. Lord, take us beyond the limits of our own stunted imaginations. Help us to understand that irrespective of the faults that we bemoan or the strengths that we celebrate, we are always and ever under the banner of your love. And let that truth free us and give us confidence to live reflecting that same love in our world. But we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.